Well, I hope you didn't give up on me. Welcome back to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. And I realize it has been three weeks since I've done one of these. So please accept my apologies. I'll go into some details as to why the delay here in a few minutes. But first, I want to welcome you to another episode of Life in Paradise. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or two or three to get them off my chest. I understand that my opinions are not the same as everyone else's, and I'm okay with that. One thing I think is that we can all learn to disagree without being disagreeable. If we would do that, the world would be a better place. However, as time goes on, I'm beginning to think that it might not be possible. I'll save the deep thoughts for the rest of the podcast because this is just my intro. And for those of you that don't know, if there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. We've got lots to catch up on today. So I don't know. This might be a long one. It might be a short one. I might be out of practice. Either way, thanks for tuning in Life in Paradise podcast. Sit back for about the next 30 or 45 minutes and let me have the joystick. Welcome back. Today is Tuesday. No, it's not. It's Monday, July 4th, 2022. That's right. It's July 4th, Independence Day. And I'm coming at you from the first day off that I've had in probably three or four weeks. I may still have to go up to the brewery later, but just for a second. Today is the day that we celebrate the fighting and the winning of independence from Great Britain. It was on this day that we declared our independence and said, you know what? We're tired of your rules. We're tired of your ruling. We're tired of your monarchy. We're tired of your taxes. We're tired of all the things that keep us from being free. And we hereby declare them no longer in existence. We're going to take control of our own destiny. and We will not be relying on you, England, for anything anymore. And that's it. And so I think it's important to remember this on this day. And we go about, we pop our fireworks, we look at the, you know, the big fireworks displays, we put flags everywhere. But it's not a celebrating of the date, 4th of July. You know, people will say, happy 4th of July, happy 4th of July. It's not, it's Independence Day. And I think it's important that we remember that, especially in the times that we're having right now when the, the country seems extremely divided and we're at odds about everything. And no one can agree the best way to manage all the problems that we're facing. Uh, 
we should all look back in history and say, we used to be one country. We used to all have the same values or close to them. Somewhere along the lines, they got split into two. So what the future looks like, who knows? But if we could get back to the basics and we could all agree on the fundamentals, the reasons why we left the UK, if we could all say, hey, let's just focus on these for a while. Let's just go back to the basics. I think things would change. Unfortunately, I think we've gone a little bit too far past that. So I don't know what the future looks like. I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure. I am pretty sure that one day the country will split into two or more. And um, I hope I'm wrong. You know, I hope I hope that prediction uh, doesn't hold up to the test of time. But I feel like as time goes on, America's values are becoming so so more convoluted and so diluted and we're, we're steering away from the principles that the country was founded on. And maybe you disagree with that. I, I would like to hear from you if you do. But if anyone says that, oh, no, we're not steering away from the ideas that our forefathers set out, I'd be interested to have a conversation with you. Because I feel like America used to stand for something. And it used to, we had a core group of values that we all stood for. And I wasn't alive in the 50s or 60s, but... From all the documentaries that I've seen and everything that I've talked to people who are older that were alive during those times, you know, they were taught things like, this is how we do things in America. This is, the, this is the value of our freedom. This is the flag. This is what the flag stands for. And we should all buy into this idea that, that America does things best. And that's partly why America has a rough reputation around the world. It's because, yeah, people call us cocky because we're proud. We fly our flags everywhere. We, we all looked a certain way. We all speak a certain way. And those are identifiable characteristics, and they also set forth the, the direction of the leadership of the country. And over time, things have changed. But no one can deny that we used to stand for things like independence, capitalism, bravery, freedom. And those are all the things that have made America so great. And I know there might be someone out there saying, man, America ain't that great. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, things might be headed that way, but we were at one point great. And I still think that we are greater than the rest of the countries in the world. And that's only because, in my opinion, that's only because how much freedom we have. And freedom and choices are the same thing. They mean, they mean the same things. For people who want to create regulations to take away our freedom and take away our choices, they're, they're killing America. They're killing the principles on which the country was founded. And to me, it's disheartening. It's disheartening for me to look at the government and see the government trying to steer the direction of the private sector and saying things like, we will end fossil fuel, we will end coal. And it, I just look back, or I think back to time, and I could not imagine the, the founders of the country telling businesses which direction they needed to go. But you see, politicians are in this to get reelected. They're in this to just, just to win some more votes. And this is why they implement policy. This is why they, they put rules into place, because it, it gives them some sort of credibility. Look, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Because a, a politician, in his own mind, wouldn't get reelected if he didn't get anything quote unquote done, you know, and I think we should give these guys credit for keeping things from getting things done, you know, or keeping things from getting done. 
take for example, you know, just just look at something like smoking cigarettes. Now, I know smoking's gross. A lot of people don't like it. It's declining in popularity. That's fine. We can all agree to that. But let's look at smoking as a as a choice, as a as a freedom to if you want to smoke cigarettes and get lung cancer, well then that's up to you. You should be able to do that. But if you would have gone back to somebody in maybe even the mid 80s or all the way and, and everywhere before that, and you would have said to them, hey, one day it'll be illegal to smoke cigarettes in buildings in public places. People wouldn't believe you. They would say that you're crazy. This is our freedom. It's our right to smoke cigarettes. That's just one example. You think of things like you know, whales living in little swimming pools. One day that's going to be unfathomable. And there's all kinds of things that we're doing right now that will be considered unacceptable at one point in time. And I understand that some people call that progress. Some people say, well, it's better to not have to deal with smoke inside a building because it can make people sick who, who don't want to get sick. I'm of the opinion that the business has the right to say who gets to smoke in their establishment and who doesn't. And if people don't like it, they won't go in there. Because you really don't have a right to go into every single place of business. Now, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 says that everyone has to be treated equally, and I get that. But you don't have to accommodate people. You shouldn't have to. You do now. You have to have handicap ramps and handicap parking spots, and hey, that's great. I think that that's a great thing. I think it's a great thing that businesses have them. I don't think it's a great thing that you have to have them. And I know it's probably an unpopular opinion. I have nothing against handicapped people, nothing at all. But I do have something against governments imposing policy on businesses that we could easily get by without. And once you put a policy into place, it's very, very, very difficult to make it go away because there are people who benefit from it. And when they get accustomed to a certain policy and you take it away, they view that as you're taking away my rights when in reality... You know, handicapped people don't have a right to go to a store. I know that sounds rough. I know. There's really no other way to say it. But me, as a consumer, I don't have the right to do anything. I don't have the right to buy anywhere. It's, it's all a privilege or it's all a, it's a function of the market. And so this kind of leads me into the next Roe versus Wade conversation that everyone's having. And I Listen, I am so sick of hearing about it. I'm sick of talking about it. I don't care anymore. The country has such bigger problems on our hands. But I do see it. I do use it as an example to illustrate how whenever people get accustomed to something and you take it away, then they feel like their rights have been infringed upon. When in reality, the only rights we have in the U.S. are what's spelled out in the Constitution. And if over half of the people decide that hey we want to change something we should we should be able to change it i've talked about the roe versus wade situation before so i'm not going to go too far into it but people are running around and protesting and screaming and telling that everyone wants to take away their rights when in reality what people want are states to have the right to say you have the right to an abortion or you don't and if you don't like it then you can go live in a different state and to me, that's a choice, which is a freedom. We're not the United States of America. We're the United States of America. We're 50. And our founders saw that. They, they saw that there would be a need to have a wide variety of lifestyles 
and liberties and restrictions and policy. So in order to allow Americans to choose which one of those lifestyle sets of rules and guidelines and policies fits them the best, they have the ability to move from one state to the next. No official documents needed, no no clearances, no visas, nothing. You can just go live somewhere else. If I lived in California and I was sick and tired of all the regulation and policy and taxes and rules and regulations, I would just leave, and that's what's happening. People are fleeing the places they don't want to be for the places they do want to be. And that's how this country was intended to be run. It wasn't intended to be run by one big governing body that controlled all 50 states. But slowly, we've come to that. And that's because politicians are only in it to get reelected. We're electing the wrong people. We're putting people into power who just want to have power. We're not putting people into power who want to lead the country and make decisions on behalf of the people. We're electing these people who, who flip-flop. And they say, you know, one year, oh, abortion's bad. We should end it all. And then, you know, 10, 15 years later, they should say, oh, the women should have the right to choose everything. And we just stand around and think, oh, yeah, that's what politicians do. They just flip-flop. They just change their mind. And we're just okay with that. It, it blows my mind to see how people just accept the behavior of these politicians. And I look at people like Beta O'Rourke, who's blown over $100 million in elections. And all he does now is drive around the state and bitch about Greg Abbott. That's literally all he does. I follow him on the stupid social media. All he does, he talks about taking guns away and how bad Greg Abbott is. The guy cannot run on any policy. He's never done anything. He's not a leader. And people buy into it because he knows exactly what to say. I think there's no way the guy's going to win. He's going he's gonna to waste another $70 million probably of hard-earned money. People that have taken risk or worked hard and donated it to him. Now, most of them expect something in return. Most of them except for the, the mom and pops who you know have a little family business and they give four or five hundred bucks to them. They'll, they'll never see anything. They'll never get anything back. They'll never reap any reward from that. This is why I refuse to give money to politicians. I don't trust them. I don't trust what they do with the money. I don't think they're good stewards of money. I think it's easy for them to waste money. And so, no, they're not going to get any of my money. You know, I had a bunch of clips of, of Biden and his mushy mouth and him not making sense. And I thought, I finally come to the realization that what good is this doing? What, why am I wasting my time taking these clips and downloading them and uploading them and chopping them up so I can play them on here? When everyone who listens probably already knows how I feel about Joe Biden and how many stupid things he says. So I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't want to see the guy. I don't want to hear the guy. I used to watch all of his speeches. I don't even want to know what he has to say. I despise him. You know the feeling you'd get that, let's just say that you had a spouse who cheated on you and they left you. And then you go out to dinner and you see your ex-spouse with the new person that they left you for. That's how I feel when I see Joe Biden and hear him talk. I mean, he can't even get out a sentence. He carries around cards that tell him literally decisions like, Walk over here, shake this person's hand, go back to your seat, sit down, stand back up, introduce someone. And you've probably all seen this by now, so I don't need to keep beating a dead horse. We, we, we've, we'd be better off figuring out how we're going to handle the tumultuous times ahead of us because they're coming. They're coming, and they're a direct result of bad policy.
You cannot navigate what's going on in the world right now with people who don't know how to lead. People who do not understand economics. This is a bad situation that we're in right now. We have our president up there shaming gas stations for charging too much money. The guy literally has no idea how the oil and gas industry works. He's been in politics his entire life. He has no business telling anyone how to run a popsicle stand. And for those of you that don't know, gas stations barely break even on gas. They only make a few pennies on the dollar. Gas stations make their money by selling you snacks and candies and Cokes. And so you got old sloppy brain up there demanding, telling people, you know, the price of the pump is too high. Lower it now with this anger. And I'm thinking to myself, it's a shame that most people don't understand what he's talking about. They, don't, they, they tend to probably agree with him because the average person probably thinks, well, the gas station just gets to set their price wherever they want to. But in reality, it's all based on what they pay for fuel. And they got to have a better price than the guy across the corner from them because so, they want to get people in their store. But these are the types of things that he, he doesn't say. He also doesn't say that, hey, the reason oil prices are high is because I implemented a bunch of policy which made it very difficult for people to produce oil. You see, when it's time to produce oil, you don't just turn up a knob that speeds up the flow of oil. When oil prices start rising, oil's flowing at its maximum rate. It's coming out of the ground as fast as we can possibly get it to. Now, what we're not doing is we're not exploring for new oil. And the reason that we're not doing that is, number one, because we don't have the labor force right now. You see, the, the oil industry had been beaten up and battered, mainly by the federal government. And they did this by subsidizing green energy companies. you got to remember that these companies out there, they seek funding. They look for money to grow their business. And so you have the government who's pumping money into the green energy field and giving subsidies to electric cars and giving subsidies to people who put windmills on their land, giving subsidies who, to people who put solar panels on their houses. So as an investor, if I'm going to invest my money in these companies, which company am I going to invest in? Am I going to invest in the company who gets propped up by the government and gets free money funneled to it, free tax dollars given to it? Or am I going to invest in a volatile industry like the oil field that's known for having booms and busts? And because of the supply and the demand of oil and fuel, it increases, decreases, and the production increases, decreases. So you have a very volatile industry. No. So the answer to that question is, I'm going to put my money over here in the green energy because I know that it's not as volatile. There's not as big of a chance of a, of a big bust cycle because the government's funneling money to them. So now you spread this out over the course of five to 10 years and no one has invested in the oil industry. So the oil companies who need money, they need investments to go find oil. They don't have money and they don't have workers. The workers have since left because the oil industry dried up. And so the, all the people that know how to build rigs, run them, produce the oil, pump it out of the ground, refine it, they've moved on. So we don't have people readily available that know how to do that you can't just snap your fingers and, and have a rig built you know these things take time there's all kinds of permitting that has to happen you have to build roads to get to the location so for him to stand up there and just bark this nonsense about gas stations charging too much i've just had enough i can't deal with him anymore there's nothing that he says that that i think you know what that's actually a good idea not one thing 
has the man said or done something that I approve of? Everything he touches, he destroys. And so because of that, I'm just going to leave him alone. I'm going to put him on the back burner. We need to talk about other things. We need to talk about how to manage your money when times get really tough. We need to talk about what you can invest in to salvage (laughs) what little money you're about to have left and not beat up on a president who's just a puppet and he's not really making decisions, but someone is making decisions on his behalf and he's going to take the fall for them. In conjunction to that, you got actors going to the White House, giving speeches about public policy. Why? Why in the world Matthew McConaughey got up there and talked about gun control? And I, don't, I can't remember if I've talked about this or not. I don't think I have. It's been a while. So, you know, it's just, it's just odd. Things, things that are happening right now seem very odd. You know, there's, a, there's this quote-unquote war in Ukraine that the media has spent more time, more minutes on their broadcasts covering this war than, than when we invaded Iraq in 2001. They spent more time on this than almost any war since Vietnam. And that tells me something. Like, why is it that they're so obsessed with this war in Ukraine? Well, what's happening is similar to what happened in covid the media companies have the ability to look and see what everyone's clicking on, and so they just feed them more of that. And it's this, um, this vicious cycle of wanting and giving. Well, all that does for the media conglomerates is drive up their value of advertising space. What it does to us, though, is it divides us. And when I say us, I mean the, the general population. The average person really doesn't understand what's going on in Ukraine. And to be quite frank, it's a big cash grab. I've come to the conclusion that I, I kind of think I might know what's happening. I would say on the grand scheme of details of, you know, all the big politicians knowing 100%, the average person knowing 0%, I would say I probably know 15 to 20% of what's actually happening in Ukraine. But here's what I do know. I do know that we've got a president over there Who's been, who's been put in charge by an oligarch, a super wealthy Ukrainian business person who owns a TV station. And so he told this guy, hey, the state-run TV station, they're starting to step on my toes. And they want some other president elected that I don't want him because he wants to uh, increase the power of the state-run TV station, which is my competition. So what I'm going to do, Zelensky, is I'm going to make you president. And Zelensky was an actor. He played the president on a TV show. So this guy goes to him and says, hey, I'm going to make you the president. I'm going to blast you all over our media outlets, and we're going to win. We're going to win it as a populist. And so that's what they did. So now you've got a super corrupt, wealthy business person who was able to get someone elected that he chose. How could that possibly go wrong? Well, Putin decides to invade Ukraine. Zelensky's boss goes to him and says, hey, you need to start begging for money. Go out there, tell the U.S. to start sending money, weapons, everything. Just send it all over here. So that's what he did. So now what happens? Now the U.S. sends billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine. Whether it be in the form of a loan or free money, that doesn't really matter for this conversation. A lot of times they just give loans. And then knowing that the Ukraine will never be able to pay it back, but now the U.S. has control over Ukraine. So let's just say that 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 part doesn't matter right now. 
So all these politicians have access to the money. The billions of dollars that's coming over, the politicians have access to it. Just recently, someone was stopped at a border leaving Ukraine. It was a wife of a politician with $17 million in her suitcases. Not a joke. Not a joke, as Joe Biden says. So they want this thing to get dragged out as long as they possibly can. They don't care that their country is being bombed to smithereens. It doesn't matter to them. They've, they've lived in rubble. They've seen in war. It's not a big deal to them. It'll get fixed. Some, someone will come along and bail them out and send all the, the do-gooders and all the nonprofits will come there and, and rebuild all the churches, and they'll be fine in 15 years. In the meantime, they're all chilling on yachts that they bought with our tax dollars. Okay, I'm starting to feel a little ranty. I'm going to settle down a little bit. I just want everyone to know that fuel prices will not come down substantially anytime soon. That's my guess. I would say we got these prices for at least another eight months, maybe 10 months more. That's about how long I think it would take for people to start actually producing oil that could be refined. And, you know, another thing to think about is that refineries are probably running at capacity. There's probably not a lot more refining space that we have. So, I don't know. I could talk about oil and the global politics (laughs) situation forever, but I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on a little bit. One of the reasons that um, that I've missed a couple weeks in the podcast was that I um, I had to put down Bentley and Bronco. And if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you'd heard about them. There were uh, two dogs who were 13 and 15, half lab, half golden retriever. And they were of the same parents, but two years apart. So the first breeding was a complete accident. And I agreed to take one of the puppies. They were two very, very nice dogs, the male was a lab, and the female was a golden. So I took one. Her name was Bentley. Bentley turned out to be so cool that all my friends went back to me and said, hey, see if you can get those dogs to breed again. And so I went back to the people who own the dogs, and I said, hey, uh, they want all my friends want another puppy just like Bentley. And so they told me, they said, hey, if you can get six people to take puppies, we'll do it. And so they did. They bred the dogs again, this time intentionally. And I kept Bronco. And so that was, I think, around 2007, I believe. And so those two guys were, uh, they were part of the crew. And when I first got them, I also had Chevy and Blazer, which were two golden retrievers. And so for the longest time, it was four of us, me, Bentley, Bronco, Chevy, Blazer. I guess that's five, four dogs and me. And then eventually I had to put down Chevy and Blazer. You know, they were 12 and 13. Um... And yeah, so Bentley and Bronco, man, they they saw, I say that there's not a lot of dogs that have probably seen moose and monkeys, but they were two of them. You know, they'd been everywhere from Alaska to Nicaragua and everywhere in between. You know, Bronco uh, took a road trip with me from Texas to Alaska, and then um, they both had been to Nicaragua a couple times. They lived with me down there. Played fetch on the beach every day. Chased monkeys in the trees. Then when I moved to Alaska for a few months to work at a brewery, they both came with me up there. So, yeah, man, they had seen it all. They lived a great life. Um, They were happy dogs. They were good-hearted. And not to mention Bentley had fetched lots and lots and lots of ducks from my duck hunting days. So, yep, they're going to be missed, man. I'm, I'm down to just Gypsy. Just me and the Malinois and Corn Pop the Cat. Uh, living high in the hog right now. I don't know. No no puppy anytime soon in my future. 
I've been uh, I've been working a lot, and so I don't have time for a puppy, and I recognize that. And Gypsy comes to work with me every day, so I don't have to get home in time to let her out. And uh, yeah, so that's I wanted to update everyone. I know a lot of people who know me have already heard, but it's uh, it was just time to talk about it. So it's tough for me to get through this, but I felt like I owed it to get it out there. So, cheers to Bentley and Bronco, two of the finest puppies ever walked the face of the earth. All right, moving along here. Now that I've I paused it and wiped the tears, I'm ready to go. So, I wanted to sandwich that in the middle. I didn't want to have it at the beginning. Didn't want to have it at the end. So, there it was, buried it in the middle. And when I was talking, I remembered that I forgot to touch on a point um, about the Ukraine situation. So, we're funneling money to the Ukraine the Ukraine is funneling money to their own politicians. Their own politicians are taking it and going away, going away with it. Now, what's happening after that is it's getting a little bit funneled back to our politicians. Because if you remember, people like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and all these other politicians have family members over there who just so happen to work for these big Ukrainian state-run companies. So money is making it back to those people as well. So that's the last piece of that puzzle. The Ukraine war is a sham. Everyone's getting rich except for the American citizens. So you can support Ukraine all you want to. That's fine. Just know that the money that you pay every month in taxes is ending up in the bank accounts of the politicians of Ukraine and America. So if you're okay with that, cool. Perhaps you should go over there and consider fighting against Russia as well. Speaking of tax dollars, you know, you always hear people say, they don't pay their fair share. They don't pay their fair share. They don't pay their fair. They just need to pay their fair share. You know, it's these types of subjective terms that politicians love to use because who gets to define what fair share means? You know, it's such a, it's a subjective term. So I did a little digging and some research, and here's what I came up with. Uh, and I'm not, I don't even know where I got this. I don't know what the source is, but it's, you can find it too. It's public information. It's out there. So tax statistics. Um, I think in 2018, yeah, that's the year, 2018, $1.93 trillion was paid in income taxes just from all the money that's collected from the paychecks of the hardworking Americans. $1.39 trillion. Of 209 million people that that are employed throughout the year, that comes out to $9,234 per person. Now, wouldn't that mean, like, if we're going to talk about fair share, shouldn't we take the total amount that we take in and divide it by the number of people? And that's your fair share, right? Because taxes should go to things that everyone gets to use. Roads, infrastructure, bridges, maintenance on the side of roads like all the things that we can drive around police departments you know all the things that we get to enjoy regardless of how much money we have right the poor person the rich person they get to drive on the same roads so fair share should mean total number of dollars divided by total number of people give you dollars per person that comes out to 9234 now the average person paid $15,000 in taxes in 2018 so the average person paid more than their fair share, right? Because some people don't pay taxes. If you don't make enough, you pay zero taxes. And technically, 
those are the people who aren't paying their fair share. Those are the people who should have to pay taxes. And the idea that someone should have to pay more just because they earn more when they're not any more strenuous on the system which the tax money supports, right? So it'd be different if, well, if you, if you make $4 billion a year, then you're going to have a heavier car for sure, so you have to pay more in road tax. No, the guy who makes $4 billion a year drives around in the same car. And so this whole like pay your fair share thing is not, it's not accurate. And it's up to us to point this stuff out and call people out on it. I mean, the next time someone says that they didn't pay their fair share, remind them that the fair share is only 9200 bucks. That's anything more than that, you're paying extra. So if everyone paid $9,200, then that would, be, that's, that would get us there. But that's not what happens. Some people pay zero, and others pay millions and millions. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just the whole pay your fair share thing really, really bothers me. And, hey, listen, I don't pay much in taxes right now. My company's not making hardly any money. I'm not making hardly any money. And so I don't think, but it, I don't think for a second, well, the rich people should pay more, and I should pay less. I'm by no means a rich person. I, I didn't pay taxes last year or the year before or the year before because I didn't make enough money. And there's not even a little teeny piece of me that thinks someone else should pay more, even though I paid zero. And I don't know what it is about people that makes them think that just because someone earns more, they should pay more, when they don't actually cost more. But here we are, living by those standards, and it's, it's infectious. It's, people hear someone say that, and those types of things sound good. Pay your fair share. Yeah, that sounds really good, but look into the numbers. Do your research. Don't just regurgitate what some politician says. Because more than likely, they're absolutely incorrect about what they're saying. Look, I've, I've come to figure out most politicians are not smart. They're not smart people. They would never make it in a corporate boardroom. They would never make it in a scientific forum. They would not make it in an engineering discussion. They don't know much about much. They've just found their way into leadership by chance, by knowing the right people, by having a great personality, by shaking hands with the right people and getting the right businesses to donate money and getting things done for those businesses. They're not getting elected because they're badasses. And that's really, I know I say this a lot and I make it quite clear, we need to start electing good people. And it all starts with the local government. I, I think that everyone should get involved at some point in the local government school board, city council, try to do something. If you think you can make a difference and you have ideas about how to improve things, get involved. Be a leader. Be a voice. Make them all hate you. Make them all scared of you. And I don't mean physically. I mean make them scared that you're going you're gonna to take their seat. Hold them accountable. If everyone did that, it, the country would look different. And I'm seeing more and more in local politics. They're dumb. Pe people are they're, they're dumber versions of federal politicians. But that's how it all starts. And in order for things to change, people have to make sacrifice. So I don't know. I'm considering getting involved in local politics. I don't know how it'll go. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that I, I don't have the patience and the tolerance to deal with the types of people who are involved in local politics. But we'll see. I feel like I can't come on here and bitch and complain and give everyone instructions and not do the same thing. And that is all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about politics for today.
the last subject I'm going to touch on before I wrap it up, and then I'm going to go do the um, Old Dogs New Tricks podcast with my cousin Harry. If you haven't checked that one out, give it a listen. It's just a Gen Z and a, and me. What am I? I don't know. Gen X. I guess I'm Gen X. And we, um, we, we discuss our viewpoints on things, and it's basically like tuning into a phone conversation between me and Harry. So, Old Dog New Tricks. Ch- check it out. The last thing I'm going to touch on is, you guessed it, the blockchain. And I may have had this conversation on here before or talked about this topic. I guess it's not really a conversation, but shared my thoughts. Is that we are right now transitioning, or we're about to start transitioning into a new form of internet. And this is going to be driven by what's called the blockchain. And all that is is just a fancy word of saying a decentralized network, right? So right now, Amazon Web Services, they have buildings full of servers that that run the internet, basically, that store all the things that you see on web pages and websites. It's all stored within Amazon's control. And so they can set the rates, they can charge the prices, they can pull the plug, they can delete stuff, they can do whatever they want to do. But what's happening now is the blockchain is starting to gain momentum. And that is basically where... People have computers that they contribute to a giant network. And you may have one computer that's in Maine and one that's in California and one that's in Portland and one that's in Miami. And they're all working together to produce what we think of as the Internet right now. But the, this is going to be called Web3. I don't know what the street name will be for it, but it will kind of feel like the Internet. The thing that we'll have, though, is more permanency. Because the, the way the blockchain works is that, let's just say you had those four computers in the four corners of the country running this, and all of a sudden one of them goes down. Well, the other three can pick up the slack. And let's just say another one goes down. Now two can still pick up the slack. And the way that it works is it's kind of fragmented amongst a whole bunch of small computers instead of a couple giant computers. And that gives us the ability to not lose data, not lose information, Websites not to go down, websites not to be functioning. You know, right now, you think about when you started taking digital photos and you had this old little camera and they put it on like a little 1.4 megabyte hard, like floppy disk. Where are those pictures? Where are they all at? Where are the pictures that you started taking in 2008, 9, 10, 11? Where are those? They're gone. They are more than likely gone unless you took tons of time to organize them and store them and keep transferring them to different devices. Now, you know, we got the iPhotos and the cloud and all that, but I don't have pictures that I took on my iPhone in 2008, you know. They're gone. They didn't make it, whatever. They transfer, you forget about them, and you lose them. And so we, we're, there's going to be a big gap between the, I don't know, 2004 and I don't know when it's going to stop, probably in the next two or three years, we'll transition to the blockchain. But there will be a big gap where no one really has any pictures. And it's weird to think about that. It's, we had all the technology in the world. We had digital cameras. We had ways to store them. We just didn't have a way to organize it. And so that's coming. It's, permanency is coming. And it sucks for me and, and probably people like you because there will be a huge gap in our life where we don't have pictures, where you go back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, we had photo albums at least, right? I've got a photo album on my table right now that was my mom and her friends from the 70s. And it's so cool to go back and look at those old pictures. But there's going to be a gap in time where we don't have those. So 
I would encourage everyone right now to take take some time on a rainy Saturday. Go back, see if you can dig through all of your old stuff, find your old photos, figure out a way to store them somewhere. You know, I don't know. There's all kinds of apps now that store them, but have yourself a plan and put them in place because two or three generations from now, there's not going to be a lot of those. And, and your direct family members would love to see all the pictures and videos from your life, but you don't have a way to, to leave them for them. You don't have a big book to for them to come get it and clean out your house when you pass away. It's just all out there in the in the ether. So something to consider. I'm very excited about all the technology that the blockchain is going to bring us, You know, not just cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency market's collapsing for now. Now's the time to buy. Uh, if you're like me, then you have faith in the long term. Just buy a little bit every day, every month, whatever you can afford, because it will be the future. Um, cryptocurrency, as we know it today, probably won't look like it will in the future, but it will be some version of it. So if you understand the positive impact it can have, just keep buying it. It's too good. It's too good to let go. And I hear, you know, all these institutions and all these people saying, well, crypto's over. It crashed. It's done. I'm thinking like, dude, you guys have been saying that every three years since 2013. But, you know, every few years, more and more people learn about it for the first time and they haven't been through the crashes before. And who knows? Maybe some government will figure out a way to crash Bitcoin from all my research. They can't. It can't be done. But who knows? I'm, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'm not a computer nerd, but I see the value from an economic standpoint. So that's it. I'm not going to rant about crypto anymore today other than it goes up and it goes down and it goes back up and it goes back down. And one day it'll, we'll, we'll be able to use something that's leveled off and not so volatile. But until then, you do what they call HODL. Hold on for dear life because it is a crazy ride. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say, but let's just put it this way. My portfolio has fallen by like 70%, and that is a hard pill to swallow. And this is just the beginning of the financial times that we're about to see. For probably the next two to three years is what I guess. Housing prices are going to fall. Unemployment's going to go up. Listen, we haven't had any type of financial hardship since 2008, 2009. So if nothing else, it's just it's time. It's time for a purge. There's people out there who are over leveraged. There's people out there that were buying houses they can't afford. There's people out there that took home equity loans on their house on their house equity, and now they're not going to be able to pay it back, and it's going to get nasty. So I have completely gone to what I call chaos mode, um, which includes shaving my beard for the first time in six years. I shaved off my beard. I don't know why, but I feel like every I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. I like to just shake things up completely. So, shaved off the beard, tightening my budget, doing, cutting the all the excess things that I don't need in my life. And I'm just going to buckle down and, and try to get through this thing. The sooner you start, the sooner you plan, the better off you'll be. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I missed the mark. I hope you guys can tell me how stupid I was and we have boom times again next year. But I don't think that's going to be the case. So, swallow the pill. Figure out what you can do. I sold most of my stocks. I paid off some debt. I don't want to be in a position where I have a bunch of debt going through this. So I'm trying to get everything cleaned up. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not giving you financial advice. But I am encouraging you to take a good look at your finances and see what you can do to tighten things up. And and I hope you don't feel it. I really do. There, there will be people out there who don't feel it. You know, it's... um. 
It may not affect everyone. The, the bigger things get, the more it will affect people. You know, chances are you're, you're a trash pickup service, your job's fine. You work at a plant, refinery, your job's fine. You work for a crypto company, you're already looking for a new job. So there's ripple effects. You know, it's just, there's going to be other things that are going to happen. Uh, crypto's going to keep going down, but that doesn't scare me. So I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but uh, the sooner you can see it coming and the sooner you can react, the more ready for it you'll be, right? It's like if you're standing in the ocean and the water's like knee deep and you're looking out there and you turn around look back at the beach and all of a sudden this wave smacks you in the back and knocks you over. But if you were facing out to sea, when the wave comes in, you see this giant wave coming, you can figure out how to navigate it. You can either try to jump over it, you can go down and go underneath it, or you can just brace yourself and let it hit you. But the position you don't want to be in is getting smacked in the back of a financial crisis. So I think that's it. Uh, once again, I apologize for the weeks off. You know, I've been working like crazy seven days a week, grinding. It's the busiest time of the year. You know, we're struggling. I'm not going to lie. Like, it is tough. Running a brewery is a tough, tough business. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, I don't see how me and my business partner could work any harder. And we're still struggling. So, that's it. It's tough to get up in the morning sometimes, but you got to keep doing it. You got to just keep pushing forward because quitting isn't an option. And so, let that be some motivation to you guys, too. You know, you're going to have rough days where nothing seems to go right. But the only thing you can do is just keep going. That's it. Thanks for tuning in Life in Paradise podcast. Sorry for the three weeks off. I'll try to be more frequent. But if I don't, don't give up on me. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.